be perfectly fine. Fine. Okay, fine. 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 You're listening to Everything is Fine in Southwest Washington, where we recognize that everything is not at all fine, discuss what we can do about it, and empower you to connect with your community. All right. Hello, everyone. For this episode, I have joining me not only a special guest, but a special host. If you guys have been listening since the beginning, you may remember Philip England. Philip and I have joined forces again to present the story of the proposed concrete batch plant at 7511 Northeast 101st Street and the impressive grassroots community effort that mobilized against it. We're covering this story because it's local, but also because we've got a dog in this fight. Philip lives only 0.4 miles away from the site, and I live exactly four miles away. So more on that in a minute. First, let's do an overview because this story has a tendency to get really complicated. For the uninitiated, you might be wondering, what exactly is wrong with having a concrete batch plant in a residential area? So in our interview, you're about to hear with Jan Kelly, founder of the Friends of Central Vancouver. She tells us quite a bit about the health and environmental implications, but I'll provide a summary. This plant would produce very serious and very dangerous air, noise, and light pollution on a 24-7 basis. Concrete batch plants are well known for spreading toxic silica dust into the air, and the experts who have weighed in say it could impact up to a 5-mile radius. It should be noted that this all depends on the size of the particulate and the wind speed. According to Adam Turigliato, a local licensed respiratory therapist who has spoken out publicly against the plant, quote, once the tiny silica particles are released in the air, there will be no way to control where they go and whom they affect. Those silica particles could lead to silicosis or a hardening of the lungs. You might be wondering who all live in this five mile radius, so we'll paint that picture for you too. There are several neighborhoods within just a few hundred feet of the site, and most insidiously, there are 62 housing units currently being built a small parking lots with the way, the potential residents of which do not have to be informed about Knife River's plans. There's also Curtin Creek, part of the watershed and all the wildlife that goes along with it that would be destroyed by this plant. Moreover, there are multiple public and private schools within that radius, the closest of which are Seton High School, Sunset Elementary, Lauren Middle School, Glenwood Heights Primary School, the Casey School, and Prairie High School. Further out, but only four miles away, I live with my five-year-old daughter, and there are 20 to 30 other children living in my small, ethnically and economically diverse neighborhood who would all be breathing in air within the estimated silica dust exposure area. So, despite what some have assumed, this would affect all kinds of vulnerable individuals, many of whom don't have the means to pack up, sell their home, and go somewhere else. Of course, no one should have to pack up and leave because industry such as this just shouldn't be there. So, you might have heard that this story is over, that Knife River has pulled out of pursuing the site, uh, likely as a result of public backlash and the work of Friends of Central Vancouver. Um, It is true that they've paused the permitting process and claim to be looking elsewhere, but this fight is far from over. The official word is that Knife River is working with the county to find a more suitable location for the build. However, while they have suggested checking with various ports for a spot, two other sites proposed by the county land use department are also in residential areas, one being off of 117th and the other in Brush Prairie. The site off 117th would be about a mile from Heritage High School and Sifton Elementary School. So... At this point, you might be wondering why the hell this was allowed to get this far. Why did the residents themselves have to do the work to stop Knife River from setting up shop in a residential area that is so obviously unsuitable for this type of activity? What's going on with the zoning designation of this site? Why did Knife River want this spot so badly? As I said, the story gets complicated, especially when we get into the logistics and the legal stuff. We touch on a lot of this in our interview with Jan, but we also discuss the amazing community mobilization against the plant that she spearheaded, which is also a huge piece of the story. One last important thing before we get into the interview, we would like to make a disclaimer statement of sorts. Philip and I are not part of Friends of Central Vancouver, so none of our statements on this issue should be taken to be as anything other than our own independent statements on this episode or any future episodes if we return to this topic or any episode in general, really. We don't speak on behalf of anyone else. We see ourselves as allied with Friends of Central Vancouver on this issue because we would be part of the impacted area and because we both see ourselves as environmentalists and people who care about the health and well-being of our community. Also, apologies that this episode will be a bit long, but this is a big, complicated story, and we kind of jumped into the middle of things with the interview, so I wanted to make sure I set the stage with this intro. 
Um, additionally, Jan requested that we not edit any of her interview, and we have chosen to grant that request, save for making sure we don't dox Philip's address, so we'll be cutting that part out, but that's it. <laughs> All right, without further ado, here is Philip and I's interview with Jan Kelly of the Friends of Central Vancouver. Do you live in Mountain View Estates or in Cedar 49? Cedar 49, I believe. Um, What's your house number? It's... You're, you're right around the corner from me. Yeah, I am literally just... Because right I've got there. the house with the blue library in front. Oh, okay. That when you walk around that big oval... Yeah. Yeah, 94th, and goes around, goes to 81st, and then 81st turns to 91st Street, and then it comes around 83rd Avenue, and then 94th is like a big football field. 82nd goes right down the 50-yard line. Right. All right. Oh, yeah, you're going to football. Don't know anything about football. Okay. <laughs> well, at any rate, it's an oval, and right. 82nd cuts it in half. Yes. Yeah. And you live right around the corner from one of them. I'm trying to think 83rd. Uh, do you live by the Russos? Yes. Mike Russo? We are, we are the direct neighbors to Mike Russo and that family. So. Well, there you go. I'm trying to now. I'm trying to figure out which house that is. It's red. Oh, I love that red house. It's a nice house. It, oh, it's got great windows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, the, in the front, it's got windows that are like mirrors. I mean, it's awesome. And that's a front porch. Is that the one? The, yes, it has a fantastic front porch. Uh, well, yeah. Now, see, aren't you surprised that I know about that front porch? Because I've walked my dog around there a lot. Oh. And taped up many flyers. Well, summers I've probably been, been out there reading. Well, no, I haven't seen anybody there. Well, not I just, recently. I mean, weather. Well, yeah, weather permitting. Okay. Yeah, but literally, I'm right around the corner. I'll be damned. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we are neighbor, neighbor, neighbors. Mike's done a lot of work for me over the years. Huh. I'll have to, I'll have to see if like my my roommate is. Like it's his dad house. It's his dad's house we're renting. So he's the one who like grew up there. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just the college buddy who moved in because they had an extra room. Oh, awesome. I have one of those. He's 67 and he's been there month to month because he's a single guy and you know he could always move to Belize. He's been there eight years. <laughs> My neighbors tell me I'll never get rid of him. <laughs> Probably right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that's just like the Kelly household joke. You know, where's a housemate? Bill. Well, Bill's in love with my dog. My dog is his best friend, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. You can't be which separated. One is this cat? That's Avi. Avi is like my best friend now. So, how the did you boy. two connect? Um, sunrise. Sunrise movement, various activism circles in the, the local area. That was um, a. Carissa started the Vancouver Free Fridge at one point, and. We were already friends by that point. I'm, I'm yeah, I think I knew you before head. that. I think, yeah. No, because we had that. I, I remember us having a very long phone call before, as you were kind of cooking all that up. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that's where we really started talking, but we knew of each other before that. Right. Various, uh, like, I've been kind of in the local um, politics, activism, environmental circles for a while. Some of them. Well, um, the Friends of Central Vancouver is my little dream child, and I will tell you, it's uh, it's a corporation. It's uh, 501c3 uh, tax-exempt status by the IRS, and it is designed to go the long distance. It's not going to be fading away. And uh, our coalition, we are a coalition of neighbors. Yeah. You can't call it an association because it's not. Um, because the county gets all touchy about that kind of stuff. You know, uh, <laughs> they do. They, semantics means everything to the county. So you have to call it what it is. It's a coalition of people. And we have a, a joint uh, focused view, and that is we want our good health. We want our home values to remain. And uh, we definitely don't want anything polluting our environment, whether it be the land, the water, or the air. And this plant will do all three. In fact, home values will drop 
15 to 30 percent as soon as they start building. That's crazy. I mean, it it's makes not sense. crazy. Who's going to buy the house? It makes exactly. It makes perfect sense. Somebody who's desperate, who just needs a room and a roof over their head, and they don't care about the health because they don't plan on living there that long. So, oh, are we starting? Do you guys want to start? I mean, we yeah, we we've already kind of gotten into some, uh, yeah. Some <laughs> we might even use <laughs> LT does hit record because it's always awkward to just like oh, abruptly okay. hit record. So we'll we're meandering into it, I guess. Do you just want to start by telling us about yourself, Jan? Well, my name is Jan Kelly, and I live in Cedar Forty Nine. I've been a resident there for over twenty years. I've done a lot of traveling, but that's home. And um, I'm semi-retired, but working more now than ever, but usually on community projects like this. Uh, for years, I've run the neighborhood garage sale. That's why I know almost everybody and almost every house. If you just <laughs> give me a number and about where you live, I can almost pinpoint it. And that's why most of the people in Cedar 49 and Mountain View and the Curtain Creek condos know me because I'm the gal that runs around and puts up the signs. I'm the one who does the advertising. I'm the one who does the composite of what great stuff we're selling at the garage sale and where it is. So if, if you see something in our ad and, you know, like one time somebody says, uh, where's all those beads at? And I go, well, that, those beads are at Connie Brown's house and this is where you get to it. So we have a little map and we go right there and uh, right on the corner, there you are, there'll be lots of cars, I promise you, just wiggle your way on in there. And then sometimes it was a gun rack. Where's the gun rack? I said, excellent question, turn around, it's right down there where you see the garage. All right, at the end, that's Gisela's place, tell her I sent you. Uh, and I don't know if it's sold or not, but that's where it was this morning. You may be a little late. I'd hustle down there if I were you. So I've been guiding that process. This summer, our neighborhood was rocked to the core. And that was due to a sign that a delivery fellow who lives in our neighborhood found. He took a picture of the sign, put it on our neighborhood Facebook page. And uh, that has grown from two people me and one neighbor, she was from Texas, and she was appalled that we did not have a Facebook page. And of course, I'm old, so I didn't know what Facebook was. <clears throat> and I said, well, uh, come on over, we'll figure it out, we'll get a cup of coffee. So we got a cup of coffee, I figured it out, and I go, do you want to be the administrator? She goes, oh no, I don't want to do that. And so it started with the two of us, and now it's well over 400 people. So it's grown into a neighborhood communication tool. Um, not only do we talk about neighborhood watch things, I'm sure, Philip, you've seen some neighborhood watch signs throughout the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I'm the person who planted them there, all right? And I'm the one who created the neighborhood meetings about explaining what neighborhood watch is. And once we did that, once we got everybody, or not everybody, but most of the people engaged on the Facebook, the security of our neighborhood was enhanced. We had fewer car break-ins. We had fewer people stealing cars or motors from boats in driveways. So our nice, quiet, safe community returned mm -hmm. after it ran rogue for a little bit, all right, till we found out who the people were, and, and then we took care of it, more or less. You know, we had the sheriff's help, of course. <laughs> but we also, um, you know, we have barbecues. We have neighborhood barbecues. We have Christmas brunches. We, we're engaged. And everybody who walks their dog or walks for exercises, they will stop and talk to you. They say, hello, how are you? And then they stand and wait for an answer. That's a sign of a good community. Well, getting back to the summer, it was a, a sign about a Zoom meeting for Knife River and the county. What's the summer? Oh, we got kids sports, we got fishing, we got camping, we got things happening, people are traveling, having fun. So we only had about three or four people there on that Zoom call. Oh, we had lots of people from the county, we had lots of people from Knife River, we had people from their engineering firm who clearly did not walk the property because they didn't know which way the wind were blowing and nor could they answer any of our questions. They kept saying things like, you know, uh, Jan, the county has regulations we have to adhere to, to that. But thank you for that question. 
and I'm going, what's going to happen to the water runoff? Oh, we're going to have a solution for that to mitigate that. And I go, what is it? And they couldn't answer. Well, fast forward from that two or three people and us guys getting frustrated. Then we had the neighborhood garage sale. You know how that goes. Mm -hmm. Mass, you know, confusion everywhere. Um, and then we kept calling the county. Hey, what about this build? Oh, we don't know anything about it. We don't have a permit. We don't have a person assigned to it. Uh, you know, you just have to keep calling us back or watch our website. All summer long, we watched nothing. And to All back up fall, real quick, nothing. what is Knife River? Knife River is a concrete batch company. They also do asphalt. They also dredge the Columbia River, and they want to expand their footprint. Now, before you think I'm anti-business, that is not the right thing. We are business owners in our neighborhood. Many of us own our own business. We are pro-business. But when that business is a hazard to everybody within a five-mile zone around it, when that business, it injures our air we breathe, it injures our land that we love, and our ecosystem and our aquifer, that's when that business has to find another place to be. We need concrete because we're a growing county. We need concrete because there's an I-5 bridge rebuild that's gonna be coming up and it's supposed to be started 2025. The state is projecting, do you notice how I say that? The need for 350 concrete trucks a day to build that bridge. That's got to come from somewhere. But what does that take? That takes aggregate from the mines. A lot of those mines right now are in litigation. So it's not free pickings. They have to go through a process. They also have to figure a way of getting that aggregate from the mine to a batch plant to make the concrete. Now you have to understand the aggregate weighs a lot. Mm -hmm. In fact, they want to put, move it by rail because that's the safest way for the community. Can you imagine 350 trucks going down 503, which is, of course, the Louisville Highway, mm -hmm. right by Fred Myers? Yep. All right. All the way to Battleground, and then go on up to, to Amboy and Yakult. Uh, those trucks don't stop on a dime. There's too much weight there. So... Traffic accidents can happen. Rocks coming out of the back of the truck, hitting your windshield can happen. That can create an accident. So the safest way is by rail. So let's talk about the rail. The Chalatsi rail line was built in 1888. It was made to move timber, not rock. It was, it was built on a smaller scale of rail than we do today for our heavy loads. So that rail is only designed really to handle 40,000 payloads. That means 40,000 pounds of rock in one container on wheels connected to something, you know, mile long train. Um, today's cart, today's things, <laughs> railroad cars, and the payload can be as much as 286,000 pounds each. The rails aren't clearly, are not strong enough for that. The, the Portland-Vancouver Junction Railroad just got a million point five grant, not a loan, but a grant to repair the railroad. I've talked to a number of people some of them railroad experience, some of them steel experience, and they tell me a million five doesn't even come close to repairing the rails. The rails are chipped. They're broken. Uh, the ties are broken. They're, some of them aren't even attached. Some of them are rotted. Spikes may or may not be there. Uh, I've walked part of the railroad, all right? You've got that railroad within feet of million dollar homes, and not one million, I'm talking two and three and four million dollar homes. What's gonna happen to that house that somebody loves and spend a whole lot of money for 
all right, if there's a rail accident and that car from the railroad turns, 200 feet is a very short distance for that wreckage oh, yeah. to spill. What damage is it going to do to that home and that property? So clearly, there's a hazard there, and it needs to be addressed. Wow. What was your wow? Oh, it's just crazy. <laughs> this whole story every time. Yeah. Just thinking about the derailments. Uh, where do they... You, so you think they, they would just not fully repair the rails? Like, where are they going to get that money? Are they going to pay for the rest of it? Unknown. We don't Unknown, and nobody's talking. It's a lot of silence, but there's a lot of preparation. Uh, nobody's talking. They're waiting. Now, clearly, you can see around town there's stockpiles of railroad ties. I don't know if they're new. I don't know if they're old. Uh, some work is being done. There's a whole lot of new rock being thrown on top of old rock to make it look better. That's cosmetic. In the South, there's a term that's called lipstick on a pig. That's what new rock over old rock is. It doesn't do anything for the functionality of it. And can you elaborate a little further on, yeah, just like the batch pan what they do at a batch plant and what kind of pollution that's going to create and how far it's going to go, all that stuff. Well, there's multiple types of pollution. First of all, you've got open conveyor belts that is moving aggregate and also probably sand and some other uh, chemicals to make the cement. In, in making... And, and I should say concrete, because concrete's a little bit different than cement, but to us layman's, it's all the same. There's an element of silica dust, and once it's in the air, it can fly up to five miles, depending on the size of the particulate. When people or pets or even farm animals breathe it, it collects in your lungs and it hardens your lungs and eventually you will not be able to breathe, and there is no recovery from silicosis. It's a kiss of death, all right? You know, how long do you have to be exposed before you, that happens? Uh, workers, if they work in that environment uh, and they don't have the proper PPE, that's protection uh, gear, and uh, if, they don't, if they don't change the HEPA filters, as often as they should, because a lot of these companies just turn the filter system off and only turn it on whenever there's an inspection. Oh, isn't that a cost savings? But what does that do to their employees? In four months' time, silicosis can start. That's a very short window of time. In our case, we have 62 townhomes that are being built right next to it. Well, maybe not right next to it. You know, you got a truck parking lot there, but I'm telling you, you could take a baseball and throw it and hit it. And oh, yeah. In fact, you were there. You walked it. Yeah. It's, it's literally just a parking lot's different, you know, distance. Very short parking <laughs> lot. And in some time, in some places of that, it's not even a parking space difference. Remember in the back? Right. Then right. the railroads were there, a little bit of walking, like for one car, and then, whoo, uh, looky, you've got a whole new property right there. Isn't that exciting? Now, those people will be what, at what I call ground zero because that wind will come off of that plant and they're the first ones to get it. And after that, Mountain View. And, after, and at the same time, there's a street on Cedar 49 that's 80th Avenue. Mm -hmm. If you get out and walk around, Philip, you'll know where it is. They got 24 houses on that street. 12 of those homes have people with serious respiratory issues already. What is silica dust and other toxins in the air going to mean for them? So those new homes, are is the builder required to inform them that this is looking to be built there? 
No, not until a permit is officially filed. And right now, Knife River paused the permitting process. So why, why, why would they pause the permitting process? Well, I hear it's to give them time to look for another location to build. Right. But the other locations the county has pointed to are just as residential as we are, except we're closer, yeah. all right, by maybe a half a block. Yeah. But still within close proximity. Yeah, no, that's uh, they've also suggested they contact the Port of Ridgefield and the Port of Vancouver and, and the Port of Camas. You have to remember, when it comes to a concrete batch plant, the concrete truck, it takes 20 minutes to load. And that's a roughly, on average, 10 yards of concrete. To give you an idea, a, con a concrete truck with those little drum things that goes mm -hmm. run ar around and around, yep. empty, weighs about 26 to 27,000 pounds. When it's filled with those 10 yards of, of concrete, that's adding 40,000 pounds to it. Oh. All right, so those concrete trucks going up and down our neighborhood street, because you right. see the trucks going up and down 82nd right. Avenue, even though they swear up and down, they don't. They run Absolutely. up and down it every day. Absolutely. Uh, where do you think the concrete trucks are going to be going? I know exactly where <laughs> the concrete right. trucks are going to be going, and that terrifies me. Well, that's a hazard to, uh, to us drivers, to us residents, to us walking our dogs, to kids playing in the street, which they do in the summertime. Yeah, all absolutely. Right? And kids cross the street, and, and, and it's kids do. They don't always look, so the driver has to be really uh, uh, vigilant. Uh, do those truck drivers that we see hauling ass down 82nd Avenue, are you allowed to say that on yes, the Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's a special thing okay. about this podcast. All right. Well, sorry about that, but um, I'm known for every now and then uh, a not-so-good word comes out. No, it's... All right. We, so... We get it. Yeah. Well, that truck, they, they don't always go at 20 miles an hour down that road. No. Yeah. And, and uh, that's the that's cold, hard facts of that. But you have to remember, 20 minutes to fill it, all right? And then that truck has 90 minutes to deliver the payload. Otherwise, the cement starts to harden, all right? The concrete starts to harden. So it gets back to the I-5, the I-5 bridge. They need to be able to get there within an hour. Right. In order to line up in, and get in the queue, as they say, to empty the payload and go back and get another one. All right. Now, let's talk about this Knife River project on 101st Street, uh, where, where I showed you. You were asking about the pollution. Well, there's light pollution. Light pollution happens when a plant is run all night long, or even well after dark hours. What does that have to do with the people that are subjected to that light? Women have a 73% higher breast cancer rate with light pollution. Men, you boys don't get off easy, you have a higher risk of prostate cancer okay. with that. And it's because our bodies do not sleep and get the quality of sleep our bodies need in order to produce the inside parts of us to do battle with those bad things. So our bodies suffer. So you have light pollution, you have noise pollution, you have vibrating of the ground pollution. All right, especially if they bring in a rock crusher to crush old cement. That's a whole nother level of pollution because the Southwest Clean Air Agency does not govern portable crushers. They only govern buildings, concrete, you know, stationary buildings, mm -hmm. not anything that moves. Right. So if they have a movable batch plant, if they have a movable crusher system, that is out of the purview of the Southwest Clean Air Agency. I've already talked to Clint there. He was very kind and explained all of that to me. He was very polite and very patient. Gave me a great education about that stuff. And he says, oh, don't worry about the silica dust, they'll mitigate it with water. 
Well, a friend of mine who works with the Friends of Central Vancouver went down to the port and he took a picture of that batch plant. He saw a person up there mitigating. Mm -hmm. He was standing up kind of high and he had a hose, a garden hose, just one hose. Just kind of doing that, you know, maybe. Now, how much silica dust is that going to control? It's not. You think? <laughs> you, well, you, you moisten it a little bit. It's not going to stop it. But let's say you actually hit something and it gets moist. What happens then? It, let's talk summertime. All right. You water your lawn in the summer, right. don't you? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, how long does it take to dry out? Uh, it, considering the weather we have in the summer. Minutes? Not, yeah. Not long at all. All right. So that wet thing environment from the hose many feet up all right it's going to be dry by the time it hits the ground isn't it <laughs> yep. i mean more or less yes. with some of our heat that we have yes it is and then what happens to that mud pile of, of slurry stuff it could probably i don't know where it goes but i can tell you water runs downhill and unless it's pure water, it's a problem. And I don't see that being too pure. I've seen a few of those places. They're filthy. So how did all of this happen? It happened under the, under the uh, cloak of COVID. People weren't moving. They weren't walking. Uh, our county has some... Um, I want to say screwy regulations, such as notification 300 feet. Hoo hoo. Uh, that was one house for us. Those people may or may not have been home. Uh, they may have known what it was, may not have known what it was, but they've talked to each other since then, and neither one of them can remember getting a notice. And they've been there since 1968. That's a long time to tell me that they have not gotten a notice about anything from the county. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and, and I already know that there, there's a difference of opinion between the county and the Sunnyside neighborhood because the county says, oh, yes, we have sent that neighborhood association notices about this. Well, I called the president of the association and I said, your name's all over these reports and papers and things uh, and court cases and whatnot. Why didn't you reach out to somebody in Cedar 49 and tell us? And she goes, I didn't notice. I didn't get anything. And so now you got two people pointing fingers at each other going, uh, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I, I'm really trying to call this the Dr. Schultz or, or the, the Commander Schultz thing. It's probably well before your time, but... <laughs> There was a lovely comedy that was weekly, and, uh, and they had this lovable German guy, and it was in a concentration camp of sorts, you know, and, and all of the, uh, the American prisoners were all spies, and they all had tunnels and got out, did different things, and always came back for check-in. And here's Schultz. I know nothing. I know nothing. I see nothing. Of course... You know, he just wanted a job. <laughs> I know nothing. I know I didn't see nothing. Is everybody here? It's very bad. You know, the commander, commandant will be here any minute. For God's sakes, look, look alive. You know, pretty much that was the whole gist of that thing. Anyway, it was hilarious. But the doc, that Schultz guy is, is the one that's, I know nothing. And that's the whole thing I've been getting. I don't know. The permit's not here. We don't have a file. We don't have a planner assigned. Oh, boy, oh, boy. And then when you look at things, as, as the handouts that I gave you on, on the walkabout, all right, I just want to point out a few little things here that I find makes you go, hmm, in the night, you know. All right, so somewhere along here, there was a... Um, if you look, you could probably find who, who the um, engineering company was, PLS Engineering. Okay. That's what we're looking for. I see it on the second. 
Under professionals, on the second page here. Oh, is that it? I, I PLS Engineering. All right. That's the same engineering firm that Knife River hired. All right. So if you have the same engineering firm with a Knife River plot of ground, and within a rock's throw, you've got this other two parcels that were adjoined as one for the 62 houses. At the same time, going on, tell me that nobody knew anything. Somebody did. No one was talking. Okay, and that's the question there as well. Like, the this zoning change from light industrial to rail industrial, right? That's this correct. was denied at first. It right? was denied twice. It went, to, it went to the examiner's hearing process twice. The examiner uh, denied it twice. And then Pioneer Industrial sued the county. And that court case went up to Olympia because it's a superior court. That's where all those cases are. And the judge threw it back at the county. And the county put it in another examiner's hearing. Nobody was notified of that hearing. We didn't get notification of it. There was no big sign like this uh, examiner hearing on this date. And if it was posted, it was posted if, I don't know, but it could have been posted at 101st Street where nobody goes because it's a dead end. It's a cul-de-sac. And the only people that go there are the people that work at the trucking company. All right. The average people who live there do not walk in that cul-de-sac because there's no reason. There's mutual materials. Oh, there's a, a gas place, easy gas, something or other. Mm -hmm. And then this property. And then there's Taylor Trucking and there's Pioneer Industrial. And, and you know, and the rest of the land around there was, was bought up by the people who own Pioneer Industrial and Eric Temple, who owns uh, the Portland-Vancouver Junction Railroad, except that one house. That one house, and uh, and when they had when they had the second Zoom call in January, they got a notice the end of December, and that's when we had coffee in a group of neighbors. We had 96 people on the second Zoom call, plus a lot of people just were phoned in on their cell phones because they couldn't get online. And those people looked at each other, I'm sure, and said, "Oh my Lord, there's 96 people on this call." What are we going to do? <laughs> and again, no satisfactory answer to any questions. But this time, their comment was, well, we're not an expert in that, so we can't comment. Well, lighting, no, we're not an expert in lighting, because we, you know, we can't comment on that. Oh, about the noise, oh, we're not an expert in noise, so we can't comment on that. Oh, uh, water mitigation, oh, well, hell, we, no, we're not an expert on that, we, we don't know. But if you guys know which way the wind blows out there, would you, like, let us know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a direct quote. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. See how much fun you missed out on? I... <laughs> So uh, that was January 4th. January 6th, we had a meeting at my house. January 9th, I started filling out papers to create the Friends of Central Vancouver, and we've been running ever since. So, okay, so you said this, this was a hearings examiner, is that correct? The state of Washington has a hearing examiner's system. I don't like it, but we got it, and it ain't going away. All right. Um, and in, to me, it, it's a whole system of things that, that has to occur. And uh, the county has got all kinds of procedures. We have them on our website, so you can learn all about them. Uh, but when I start talking about them, my blood pressure goes up so much that I'm not even allowed to wear my Apple Watch because it wants to send the ambulance for me. Oh my God. All right, so I'm back to my old, uh, you know, Arizona watch. <laughs> No ambulance in sight, but I still can feel my face getting red. It, it's just, it's a process of zoning and hearings and appeals that, um, that the whole state has, and, and they're not going to change it. So how is the county council culpable in this? Did, the previous county council... Um, we're the ones that signed this, the settlement instead of fighting it in court. 
All right, they could have so fought it, but they didn't. So they signed the settlement. Yes. Okay. And then after that, it went to a hearing examiner again, and that hearing examiner found something. I'm not exactly sure what, but he re he changed his decision and allowed a conditional use permit. All right, to be applied for. Now. Once that's applied for, then Knife River has to uh, come up with a SEPA report. That's a State Environmental Protection Act report. And uh, I called all those people involved, <laughs> and not a one of them knew not about Knife River or the report coming down the pipeline. And I told them, I said, keep your eyes peeled because it's coming at you. And if it's rubber stamped, uh, I just may be having the news right at your office. So you can explain to people why it was rubber stamped instead of adjudicated properly. So now the county wants to do take it slow and do everything by the book. And that's because we're watching. We're not giving up. We're not letting up. We're not giving them any breathing space. We don't need to. We're already two years behind in this. From what I understand, two of those council members are still on the council. Yes. Who signed the settlement. Yes. For this. Yes. Those are Karen, Karen Bowerman, Bowerman and Gary. Gary Medvigie. Yeah, that guy. Okay. They're both They're up both for re-election. <laughs> <laughs> Sad but true. <laughs> it's coming up. All right. Great reputation they've Something made for themselves. <laughs> um, How go do you on. think this is going? I mean, this is like my uh, first podcast with y'all. Yeah. So, I'm, how are we doing? That's going good. Yeah, I, mean, I think we're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of good information. There's, yeah, there's just so much. I told you, it, it's complicated. And it's not just a one-pronged thing. Everything is interrelated. And it affects everybody in central Vancouver. It affects your quality of life. It affects your health. And it will affect your property values. Yeah, this is just proof that people need to be paying attention to what's going on in local government. Because this just and, almost went under the radar. be engaged. Yeah. You have to get engaged. Um, you know, my group is passing out flyers. Last month, we passed out almost 3,000 flyers. Uh, and we do it every month. And we have a monthly meeting at the Cascade Presbyterian Church on the last Friday, except in May. It'll be on May 19th because Memorial Day. That's mm -hmm. National Camping Weekend, by the way. Beginning of summer, officially. Mm -hmm. We'll see if the weather holds out. Um, People need to come there. They can go to our website, and that's https colon slash slash focv.info. And, and we've got letter writing campaigns there. We have documentation on the settlements and on the, the process. You can get a hold of us and ask questions. Uh, you know, we're really a transparent group. And while the permitting process is paused, what what is next for Friends of Central Vancouver? Building our coalition, getting so our neighbors involved, to raise the awareness, absolutely, getting everybody involved. I speak at HOAs. I speak at uh, any church that will allow me to be in there. I speak at any neighborhood association meeting that will give me, you know, ten minutes. Enough of this three-minute stuff that the county does. All right. I mean, that's hardly enough time to say your name. So, well, it is. I no, mean, I've, you know, I've you've got to make a point for like Vancouver City Council, and yeah, it, it three minutes goes by quick. You, you got to be focused. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, our teams are all working on different uh, projects, but our our biggest one right now is the boots on the ground, passing out flyers, letting your neighbors know, keeping this on everybody's mind instead of letting it slip through the the cracks of time, and that's what the county is is praying for: is that we get busy with camping, we get busy with sports, we get busy with life, that we don't pay attention, that we go to sleep again, that we don't say anything, that we go and be silent, like the uh, silent majority. And I, my viewpoint is no, 
we need to talk about this. We need to find solutions. We need to work together. And we need to make our community safe mm -hmm. and healthy. And not only for us, but for those who come after us. And that's your children. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like there's a risk now that the thing's been put on pause of people kind of losing their sense of urgency about yes, it? Yes, because there's a lot of people that think we've won. We, right. And, and it's an intermission. It's not a win. It's an intermission. Well, that's what I'm getting at, is how do you... We do things like I'm doing now. And, <laughs> and hopefully some... they'll listen and want to become engaged. Fair enough. Are there some that are just going to be happy that it's not going to be in their backyard and it's going to go to these prospective other locations? What were those most Most of were? us feel like it's not an our backyard issue. Okay. It's any backyard issue. Good. And, and that's the difference. I mean, we are, that's why we formed the nonprofit instead of just being focused on our little neighborhood, all right? Because there's only 399 houses in our little neighborhood. But then you have to go across uh, Curtin Creek, there's a whole nother neighborhood. If you go you know, south of 88, there's a whole nother neighborhood. If you come over to where you are, that's a whole nother neighborhood, and you're still within the five-mile zone. Mm -hmm. In that five-mile zone, there's at least 10 schools. Those schools have outdoor sports, they have children, they have staff. All of those are going to be at risk with their breathing. That's a problem. At least I think it's a problem, and it's a problem that exceeds our 399 houses. That's why we go out into various neighborhoods. That's why we try to recruit people. Because I, being one person, I don't have the time to go and deliver the flyers. I print them. People mm -hmm. come by my house and pick them up. They send me an email or a text or a phone call and say, Jan, we need another 500. We're going to go out again tomorrow. Can we pick them up? So my printer in my office is working all the time. All right? That's why people at the meeting... If you would have been there on Friday, you, and the financial report that I show everybody every month, they go, what's the expenses? I go, ink and paper, paper and ink, ink and paper, more paper, more ink. <laughs> more ink, more paper, oh, and tape. You have tape, too. More ink, more paper, and tape. You know, Home Depot just kind of points away. Yeah, Jan, it's right there. We ordered extra. We knew you were coming. And so, I, you know, that... I don't know how else you, you start a grassroots effort. You have to get the notices out. Mm -hmm. They have to be everywhere. Every restaurant, every vet's office, every doctor's office. Everywhere. And hopefully, Knife River will find a spot that is not near residential areas, not near schools, not near old retirement homes, all right? And, oh, by the way, just because people are old doesn't mean that uh, we have to hasten their trip to the good Lord above, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we absolutely. want them on this side of heaven as long as we can keep them. And we're going to fight for that. We don't need to rush them. Time will do that on its own. They don't need help from them. But we have to, we have to look out for the community as a whole. Otherwise, our ecosystem and our aquifer will be damaged, and it's us human beings that will suffer because we depend on that. We depend on that. We don't have the Colorado River for water. Mm -hmm. We don't have great big reservoirs like Shasta. Colorado River's driving, drying up, too. So. Well, yes, it is. <laughs> but I don't know. They've had a lot of snow, so they might, they might have a... Uh, more water this year than they had in the many, many years. Uh, but that's just because everyone's got swimming pools down there. See, when I was growing up, we didn't have pools. In fact, when I grew up, they said, do you want to learn to swim? And I told my aunt yes, and she picked me up by the neck and threw me in the canal. She goes, there you go, you're swimming. <laughs> yeah. That's what she did. Now, this, now, this day and age, if you did that, you'd probably come out and glow in the dark because of all the chemicals and stuff in it. But right. you see how times change? <laughs> yeah. Next question. So, this is an environmental issue, 
and this is a health and safety issue that's going to affect so many people. And property values. you got to remember, a lot of these people have been in their homes 30 years. Uh, I mean, they depend on their home equity for their retirement. They depend on that for their long-term care when they get older and have to leave their home. How's that going to be impacted if their home value goes south by 15 to 30%? Now, see, where you live and where I live, our houses will probably go down 15, maybe 20%. Around Mountain View and those new ones and 80th, it's pretty close to a 30% drop because they're closer to it than we are. I can absolutely see that considering like what they're proposing. Yeah. So it, health is number one. Um, and, and our ecosystem and our property values, because that, that means that's the single most biggest investment people make. I mean, the average person, when they're a homeowner, uh, that home equity is critical when they get it older. And I say older, older than me, all right? Um, and you all know who those people are in your life. You yeah, don't my want parents them are, suffering. are wanting to sell this house, and um, we're hoping to buy it, but <laughs> yeah. Well, they're it, depending it, on that for their retirement, so. Sure, and, and a lot of folks are. A lot of people in, at the meeting on Friday were, were elderly people, and uh, they just don't understand this. They don't understand how the county could, have, could allow this. And frank, frankly, neither can we. It was an error, gross error, in, in judgment on somebody's part. Um, but they, they won't correct it. They now, just won't correct it? No. Nope. They say their hands are tied, they can't do anything because we're in a hearing examiner's uh, environment. So um, I've talked to the state. The state says there's nothing that can be done. I've talked to our attorney. The attorney says nothing can be done. Um, personally, I kind of hope they sell that land to somebody who puts in an RV storage lot because that's what the county needs. We need a place that we can store RVs on our boats and have it in a secure area. And there would be no night lights, there would be no shaking of the ground, and there would be no loud noises. Mm -hmm. Because there's uh, that designation, though, is that going to attract other terrible projects? It might. <laughs> if that just and then like we'll that? just have to change gears and, and keep it up until somebody figures it out that that is too close to be heavy industrial. It's too close to residential. All right? And that's, that is the county not adhering to their comprehensive growth management plan. And that's something that people need to be aware of. And they're looking at that. They're trying to do amendments. They're having meetings. Uh, in fact, uh, on the 5th, they've got a working session that you can listen to. And then I believe uh, the night of the 18th of April, yep. that you have a meeting that you, too, can be prepared to speak three minutes. Not three minutes and one second, but three minutes. So time it. Practice it. Get your message down. Yeah. Have it in writing. Yeah. Yep, yep. So if people want to get involved, go to your website. Would that be the first step? And that probably would be go the first the step. I okay. think our website's quite informational. At okay. least um, lots of people tell me it is. We try to keep it up, up to speed. Garth does a really good job of that uh, with the help of David. We have two webmasters. And uh, things are fluid. They're changing. And God love those men. They, are, they keep up with it. So, you know, my hat's off to them. All right. Is that? Do you have any other questions, Philip? No, not at this particular moment in time. I'm just like, kind of in awe at, at like I've seen a lot of different activist things, you know, political things rise up and kind of um, flounder and fail at different points. But Friends of Central Vancouver seems to have like sprung up out of, you know, a just very in a very short time, you guys have done a lot, and I'm 
really impressed. We are very organized. We are led with by somebody, moi, who is very <laughs> passionate about this and has high energy. And I start early in the morning and I run all day until I'm done. Then I sleep for a few hours and I get up and I do it again. But I also have a good team in back of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got uh, Bill Peterson. He's he's our uh, county, you know, uh, process person in zoning. We've got Adam, who's uh, who works with a medical and and uh, health team. Uh, we've got Tim Dixon, who's media and ways and means, and he's organizing our uh, first fundraiser, which is going to take place at the Ghost Runner on the 12th oh, nice. from 5.30 to 8.30. Uh, we've got Jim McCray, uh, new to the leadership, but uh, he's going to be working closely with Bill, and he's going to be focused on the comprehensive growth management plan. And then we've got our web team, and we have Rachel with social media. So we are trying our best to keep abreast of everything. And literally, I'm on the phone all day, mm-hmm. every day. People calling me, and I'm calling them. And and I, I speak to uh, our state representatives, and I also make phone calls to D.C. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the first I had heard of any of this was when, you know, a flyer got left on my door. Um, See how important those flyers are? And I just, <laughs> yeah. I took one look and it's like, cement? What the? No, I don't want this. <laughs> well, now you know what we um, felt like right after Christmas when we were at, uh, at a coffee shop and Blake, who gathered people around, you know, he was trying to gather people's uh, ideas and stuff, and I just stood up and said, do you guys want to know what's going on, or you want to sit here and talk about how you feel about whatever it? And they said, no, what? And I stood up and told them about the summer, told them what we'd been doing, and I go, now, you can sit here and talk about feelings, or you can get your button gear and let's get moving. Yeah. All right? And that's your option. Meet me at the house. (laughs) And that's pretty much how it went. Same people showed up when I called them and said, okay, we're meeting at my house. And I had people from all over the neighborhood. I took people from that I knew from the garage sale organizing from mm-hmm. different streets, so the whole neighborhood was represented. And I said, okay, this is what it's going to take. Mm-hmm. And I go, it, it's not a one-and-done thing. It, it's going to be a long-term. And I go, you got to guys got to be prepared. This is going to be three to five years. And I'll be surprised if we can get it done in that length of time. But you're right. We've come a long ways in a short amount of time. And that's because we created teams. We had them focused. And we said, this is what I need. This is what I need. This is what I need. And we just gave flyers out. The first month, I think we gave out close to 600, 700 flyers. And then the next month was 1,000 to 1,200. Last month was almost 3,000. And uh, the church... I, I went to the church meeting with almost 2,000 flyers done, and I gave you probably about 450. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a challenge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work you, on you, it. You have a strong split them with helper here. right yeah. here. No, and I, I got LT there, too. All right. Get him, him right. helping. I mean, and I'm trying to think. We have... In Cedar 49, I have to back it out, we've got 235 houses in Cedar 49. Mm -hmm. We have 140 in Mountain View, and we have 30 condos. Right. All right? I know that because if I run short of flyers, I have to print more for the garage sale. So I know it's 399 because that's how many flyers it takes. So that stuff, you just have to kind of tell everyone. you got to tell everyone you know. you got to... Put it on your Facebook page. You got to just get them there. Get them to the church. Now, that church will hold 125 people in the sanctuary. It holds another 40 to 50 people in the fellowship hall out just in between, you know, when you come in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So we we can actually have 160 people in the church. Now, whenever I think we're going to exceed that in our community meetings, I'll find a bigger spot. Don't you worry about a thing. <laughs> All right. 
And Tim's even got uh, fundraisers, I, like the Ghost Runner ought to be fun uh, next week, mm -hmm. next Wednesday night. And then when the weather turns, he's already planning a big barbecue over at Busy's, Busy Farms. That's oh, outdoors. Really? We can have all kinds of, I, I'm telling you, my teams, I, they are very creative. They are very creative. And uh, it's not all work. I mean, we do have fun once in a while and crack jokes and drink wine and a few beers. Oh yeah. From time to time. <laughs> Sounds fun. Well, it is. You ought to join us. So, any anything else? Because I've got a neighbor waiting for me. I think we're good. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. Thank you.